0: Welcome into Surviving Paradise, the podcast that takes a sometimes serious, oftentimes humorous look at the claim by Jehovah's Witnesses that they are living in a modern day spiritual paradise. As I do, welcome in. I'm your host, Stacey Bauman, former elder, ministerial servant, most importantly a kid raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses throughout the 70s and 80s. And a bit of a warning to start off each show, There might be some things here that trigger some people, and it's completely understandable. We try to have some fun. We try to heal, create some community. But this little show features my own brand of sarcasm, humor, and observation. Please know it is never meant to offend. And might I say we should underline that, especially so after the year Jehovah's Witnesses have had in 2023. It has truly been one hell of a year for Jesus Guys in Upstate New York. The organization of Jehovah's Witnesses has changed forever. It's been hard to get away from that the last couple weeks because the changes have been so dramatic. And there are so many highlights that it's hard to know where to even begin, to start, to discuss, to think. But to kick this conversation off the right way this week, I want to just, uh, here, insert a couple of reminders, and I'll start from the top. And Malachi 3.6 of the New World Translation, we are told, For I am Jehovah, I do not change. End quote. I politely at this point ask you to forget about that time he felt regret for making us at all, Or that time he allowed Abraham to whittle him down to 10 people in Sodom. If they were good, he wouldn't rain fire down on the city. Just forget all of that. Then we move on. Then we move on to his appointed king, Jesus. At Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 of the New World Translation, we are told Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're interested on my take on change within Jehovah's Witnesses, we have a past episode on that. But at this point, especially with Jesus, you're going to need to dismiss the fact that he was at one time a powerful spirit creature who decided to experience coming into a world he created by way of a female birth canal. Put that aside, we are told Jesus doesn't change not even when he's in heaven perfectly well and then he decides to have a birth experience nope doesn't change despite a long list of fun and stuff i could poke fun at showing that these these verses excuse me are not accurate the point is this his organization since 1919 has been consistent about one thing it's constantly changing dramatically I might add and well we spent our lives learning that he never changes I just read the verses but kick that power of observation and common sense to the curb as we launch into this week's episode we have highlights and while I was a little bit tempted to save this for an end-of-the-year show we're gonna kick them off right here because each week brings more highlights consider a few For the first time since May 22nd, 1980, Jesus decided to fire one of his earthly kings, Anthony Morris III, otherwise known as Tight Pants Tony. And I gotta tell you at this point, I for one miss Tony. He made all of this so much more fun. But canning a king is big news in 2023. Why? We can all wear tight pants again, and apparently he no longer has the privilege of turning us all into hot dogs, all split open and burning on the grill, as he put it. Or at least we can't confirm his royal status, but what a huge move. (laughs) We just don't know a whole lot more about Tony other than he was out in 2023, and that was a massive change among Jehovah's Witnesses. How about another? With the annual meeting that we can't stop talking about, Jehovah's Witnesses learned that they will no longer be turning in field service time, meaning that something we were taught was a gift of godly devotion given directly to Jehovah himself is no longer a gift Jehovah wants. <laughs> He's not interested. He's exchanging those gifts. And I tell you, the repercussions of this one hasn't even begun to be felt yet or surface, stay tuned. There will be fallout. But how about a third observation, again, just from 2023? Who isn't excited to learn that anyone on earth can now wait until the great tribulation is in full swing before deciding to be a Jehovah's Witness? I've never been more excited to hold off on the decision to be a witness until I see with my own eyes that Stephen Lett, Sam Hurd, and the fellas in New York are the only religion left standing as Armageddon begins. <clears throat> Sex, college, a career, here I come, but we will all be eagerly watching. No one is stupid enough to pass up living forever in a sweater vest on a plant-paced diet for the rest of their lives and we now have the chance if we just show up and switch teams during the Great Tribulation. You may have a few questions popping, like what's the point of field service? What's the point of baptism? What's the point of the entire religion? Those would be very good, valid questions. And boy, were they big, big, big bombshells in 2023. But I continue with the highlights. Not to be overlooked is the fact that we got two new kings in 2023. Jesus has been busy in New York, and we have two new faces that will be judging the rest of us very soon. Two new guys that know that we that apparently know about that extra drink you had, that you fall asleep at the meetings, or that you watch a little too much of that internet. So, and never mind two new guys that will soon be reading your and my hearts and minds jeffrey winder and gage fliegel join the fireball tossing ranks and they come in strong in 2023 particularly with their talks at the annual meeting where they explained how new light works and that they don't have to apologize for it or any of the mistakes of the guys that came before them just to clarify these two new royals were already part of the 144,000, so nothing has changed there, if you're wondering. This doesn't change, meaning there's in two. No, rest easy. It's all the same. You can breathe easy. The math still works. But how about one more? Finally, the exciting news from Mark Sanderson that Jehovah is doing something truly unprecedented. As announced this past week, he is releasing a a 32-page brochure called Love People Make Disciples. To quote Mark, he said, this is truly a historic day for Jehovah's Witnesses. We have deepened our understanding of Jehovah's compassion and patience. Jehovah is dignifying us. He has confidence in us, end quote. He sure does, Mark. He sure does. Just don't ask him to handle the budget for this brochure. He seems to need money a lot. My early prediction is that this historic brochure will feature reminders that the end is coming any second now. That Jehovah sure is compassionate. Unless it's about things like child safety inside his organization, then the compassion just goes out the window. As you can see, I could keep going. Those are some of the massive, unbelievable things that happened in 2023, just in the past year. I think it's important to note here, at least I feel compelled to, and it's absolutely horrible. There's no words for it. It's important to note that Jehovah's Witnesses are also now seeing an uptick in violence, including a bombing in India just weeks ago and a mass shooting in Hamburg. And it doesn't matter whether you're in or out, this is unspeakable. My stomach just hurts even talking about this. Innocent people falling victims to violence inside kingdom halls or conventions. And it's really unthinkable considering the pain and sacrifices so many Jehovah's Witnesses have or had already suffered throughout their lives. To end like that, it genuinely hurts my heart. And foremost, condolences to those innocent people impacted by this. And secondly, if that's a word, it plays a role in what follows in this episode. I reeled off the absurd, and I touched briefly on the painful. All in all, what a year for Jehovah's Witnesses. There are so many highlights we could cover, so many things we could talk about but I hope I hit the best ones, or the top headlines. Feel free to remind me of any life-altering truths or changes I may have missed this year. Jehovah's Chariot is on the move, and this podcast host fell off that chariot several years ago, (laughs) so I watch from afar. But it's times like these that make thinking people ask a few questions. I am regularly asked two questions regarding my time as a Jehovah's Witness. One, the natural one, which I ask other people as well. What is it that woke me up and made me leave? What was it, what was my story? I love those stories. But the second one is a big one, and it's one we're gonna unpack. And that is, why won't Jehovah's Witnesses just leave this insane organization? And frankly, the first question is easy, it's our story. But the second one is so damn complex. And it's that question that I wanna tackle this week. There is really no way I could even begin to explain why each unique person stays inside a cult. Even with the absurdity I just had the pleasure of sharing from 2023, millions of people will continue on as Jehovah's Witnesses. Many won't even ask questions about what they've heard or seen. They'll just show up at the Kingdom Hall and keep on keeping on. And in the weirdest twist of irony, many don't even realize some, if not all, of the changes that happened during 2023. Do you realize you could approach a Jehovah's Witness today And some of them won't even know about the five or six things I made fun of at the opening of this show. And the year isn't even done yet. We've got time. There might be something better coming. With over a century of insanity, doomsday predictions, deadly doctrines, lost opportunities, disappearing literature, deceitful leadership, and insulting people's intelligence, why won't people leave Jehovah's Witnesses? How can millions of people claim to loyally support the comical, ever-changing teachings these guys roll out? I'm gonna give you my three reasons, with the disclaimer that these are my observations as I do. I've had many, many sleepless nights wandering the earth Asking myself the same question. It especially hits home when you consider many of us have those we love that are still in, still obeying, still following, still tying that tie, still putting on that dress and rolling up to a kingdom hall. So let's dive in. I give you the three reasons I believe millions will continue to look at Stephen Lett and believe Jesus guides him, facial expressions and all. I'm going to click through these. The first one, I think, is probably the one most everyone realizes. It's a theme on this show. We've got past episodes on it because you can't get away from it if you're discussing Jehovah's Witnesses. And that reason is fear. Fear, a four-letter word that lives in the belly of every Jehovah's Witness. And while it gets mentioned nearly every week, I want to explore why it's such a massive factor in Jehovah's Witnesses never leaving the organization. Outsiders tend to scratch their heads in disbelief after just a few minutes of watching any one member of the governing body say anything on camera. You can't believe this guy is in control of anything from a lawnmower, much less a large organization of people. It's insulting, it's embarrassing, it's cringe-worthy. An outsider can't believe anyone would believe this stuff, even other Christians or other Christian denominations who know none of this stuff is in the Bible. But they almost always discount the major reason why most Jehovah's Witnesses stay, and that reason is fear. And let me tell you, fear works. It's such a powerful tool. It's not unique to Jehovah's Witnesses, any cult, or institution, or high-control organization. They use fear because it works. But it's not also obvious to the naked eye when you're watching them pile into Kingdom Halls or you're singing along to one of their new music videos. Fear is utilized by almost all powerful organizations as a means of control. And they hide it under the surface. And the same is true within the ranks of Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are afraid of almost everything. And I really mean that. Fear permeates everything they do, everything they say, everything they feel. Imagine the pressure on a human being that lives under a constant umbrella of fear. They've been conditioned to live on edge. This is especially true for those born into the organization to Jehovah's Witness parents, oftentimes the parents themselves born into the organization, first, second, third generation witnesses. Fear becomes a way of life because it's all they've ever known. The list is long and I could go on and I've done past episodes on this, please see them if you're interested, but the, the list of fears and subject of fear is a long one. How about a rapid fire list Leading up to their biggest fear, we'll get there. Here goes. I've talked about it before, but a Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witness, excuse me, is constantly in fear of Satan and his demons. From the Watchtower of 2018 May, pages 22 through 26, under the article "Know Your Enemy," we get this quote: "When those angels abandon God's family, they put themselves under Satan's control." What? These rebels however are not just a mob of troublemakers. Satan has set up an imitation of God's kingdom with himself as king. In the invisible realm, Satan has organized the demons into governments, given them authority, and made them world rulers, End quote. There it is. We're in a cosmic game of thrones type scenario. There's Jehovah and his kingdom. There's Satan and his thrones, authorities, generals, all sorts of soap opera-like drama in the spirit realm. And see past episodes of the long love affair Jehovah's Witnesses have with Satan and his demons. It's there. It's well documented. Satan and the demons are everywhere watching you and me They run governments, every heavy metal rock band there ever was. They may even run a Walmart cash register. That's right, they're everywhere. And their favorite targets are those people taking a coffee break after a grueling day of standing next to a book cart, Jehovah's Witnesses. By the way, they infiltrate everything. Don't ever buy anything at a garage sale, especially not a stuffed Smurf. It's all demonized. They can come to life without notice, but uh, only with Jehovah's Witnesses. Isn't that something? There's the two kingdoms, after all. If you were lucky to be raised a Jehovah's Witness, you know this fear well. And while I think it's dissipated in recent years, they've even backtracked on the absurdity and the experiences. Remember the yearbook experiences about people being killed by demons and all that? Gone, mothballed those. But you can add it, add to it that Jehovah's Witnesses believe this entire time Satan and his kingdom are in full regalia. Jehovah himself is in the bleachers, just watching Satan and doing nothing. How's that for a twist? Universal sovereignty and stuff. See one of my favorite past episodes. Jehovah can't handle a bully. But a witness lives in fear that there are invisible spirit creatures all around them. And as you'll see coming up, it's not just Satan and his demons that are watching them and moving throughout their home and their lives. It's Jehovah and his guys too. We're all just subjects in a cosmic game of thrones. And that fear, while we laugh at it now when we're out, when you're in, it's real. And it's especially real to kids who think the demons are under their bed at night. That's one of many fears a witness lives in. How about the fear of Armageddon? From the awake of July 8, 2005, page 13, we get, quote, Granted, a number of Bible prophecies of the coming destruction are alarming. For example, the prophet Joel spoke of the great and fear-inspiring day of Jehovah. God's arsenal includes snow, hail, earthquake, infectious disease, flooding downpour, rain of fire and sulfur, that's my favorite, deadly confusion, lightning, and flesh-rotting scourge. And the Bible graphically describes a time in which the dead will cover the surface of the earth, left either as manure or as food for the birds and other animals. Fright will grip God's enemies during this war." Thank you, Awake July eighth, two 2005. Why won't a witness leave? I am so sick of these boring talks. But the option is, I will develop a flesh rotting scourge, be hit by a fireball, swallowed by the earth, and be bird food. Yeah, I'm going to sit through another really boring public talk and keep going. That's the facts. (laughs) That's the truth. Fear is real. Why won't they leave? They think this is coming as they navigate the world of satan and his demons they know that the end to this game of thrones and this story is that they will be bird food but not before watching their flesh rot off their bone because they didn't want to go to another district convention for a jehovah's witness they not only learned this their entire lives but the faithful slave has been kind enough to come up with some fantastic illustrations for you to look at at every meeting, you know, just to make sure you get the message, even sneaking some of it into the new kids' cartoons with Caleb and Sophia, so the little people have a good idea at what Armageddon looks like. Never thinking, apparently, that that little kid goes to school, looks around at their classmates and goes, what's it gonna look like when their face falls off and the birds eat them? Because that is real. It's real. Some of us had a real fear of this. Imagine being taught your entire life that this all ends in a genocide for not believing in nine guys in New York. That is a real fear that lives in Jehovah's Witnesses and might I add, can even continue to live in some of us after we leave Jehovah's Witnesses. It's how embedded it is in us. I can't believe it, I can't do it anymore, And yet, I know I'm doomed at Armageddon. A piece of that fear goes with you. It's unbelievable. But inside the organization, this messaging, these illustrations, every damn day. This fear is probably better described as fear of leaving the organization because they believe it's the modern-day Noah's Ark. Us old timers remember that. Noah always sneaks into this show. He's so easy. And you too will be one of those people climbing to the top of Mount Everest to escape the flood rotters when Jehovah decides to do it all over again. He promised not to skip that. He's going to do it again because once was not enough for the God of love. As we're told, Armageddon is coming. And so a witness opts into a lifestyle that they don't agree with they may know is insane because inside of them they believe we're heading towards a cataclysmic, disgusting, disturbing event that I just read to you. Flesh rotting, confusion, lightning, earthquakes, pick your poison. So they stay. They go stand next to that book cart under a malaise and a depression and they stay. From the Kingdom Ministry of November 1975, pages 1 through 4 under the aptly titled The Door is Still Open, we're back to Noah's Ark, folks, and the comparison to the organization as such. Discussion of a district convention drama on Noah's Ark takes place in this in this particular publication, and it says this in the KM of 1175, quote, What about our own day? Now it is the spiritual paradise. See the comedy of the show? That is the anti-typical ark. There it is. Jehovah's provision for survival. Once inside, we need to be sure that we stay there. This includes submitting ourselves to the king of the spiritual paradise, Jesus Christ, and working in genuine harmony with others dwelling there. End quote. I immediately go to, how do I work with a zebra? There's only two of them, never mind. What they're saying here is, is that the modern-day organization of Jehovah's Witnesses is like Noah's Ark. We must get in, and we must stay there. If you leave, you die. That's the teaching. No one is getting off Noah's Ark, or the organization, as it's likened to. Despite all the leaks, being seasick, and endless piles of animal shit, everyone is going to stay on. Do you see how tied that is into the modern day spiritual paradise of Jehovah's Witnesses? Leave and you're that baby that you stared at as a little kid in the Bible stories book, standing there in its mother's arms as the waters swallowed it, wondering why at any moment they deserved it. I get dramatic because that lives in the psyche of a Jehovah's Witness, fear. When they roll out the stupidity of the annual convention and no one will leave, they giggle along. They giggled along to the changes and everyone with a brain or who has escaped this or been fortunate enough sits there thinking, why don't they just get up and leave? Here's one of your biggest reasons. I have more when it comes to fear. There's the fear of Jehovah himself. The Watchtower Study Edition, June 2023, it's recent, page 14, it says this, quote, no matter how long we've been serving Jehovah, all of us need to maintain a healthy fear of him, end quote. Quote picks up, we're not born with a fear of Jehovah, we must cultivate it. Another way we can develop our fear of God is by praying regularly. The more we pray, the more real Jehovah becomes to us. Hmm. Jehovah does not really ask much of us. What he requires is summed up at Ecclesiastes 12.13, which says, Fear the true God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole obligation of man. End quote. Fear of God himself keeps a Jehovah's Witness planted in their kingdom halls. And much like satan and the demons jehovah is always watching you again see a past episode where we cover how jehovah even lives inside your head he knows your thoughts desires intentions and everything else lingering too long on a website he knows about it think the brother giving that talk is terrible and an asshat of a human being jehovah knows how you feel about him secretly want to go to college you've upset jehovah again when's the last time you sent jehovah money on and on it goes for a Jehovah's Witness. And it's one of the main reasons they won't leave. They won't leave absurdity because they believe he's watching. The great God who has been in hiding since the beginning of time spends most of his time now, uh, watching us. You know what it's like. You're a little kid. You go to the pet store and get a hamster. You could spend an hour standing in front of the hamster cage, watching it run on the hamster wheel. It's incredibly entertaining. He moves so fast. He's so cute. He's got little legs. I'm going to watch everything he does for hours. Yeah. That's Jehovah. It's not creepy at all, right? It's incredibly weird. He created us. And he's watching us. He's inside our head. He's inside our hearts. And for a witness, it's incredibly anchoring to all things Jehovah's Witnesses. You know he's watching. It's fear. But I want to move on. All of the aforementioned fears that keep a Jehovah's Witness from leaving the most insane pile of crap you've ever seen or heard pale in comparison to the real fear that keeps thousands and thousands of witnesses inside this insane organization. Never, ever giving consideration to leaving what they know to be absurd. And in my opinion, it's the fear of all fears. And rightly so. That fear is the fear of losing everyone and everything you've ever loved. It's the fear of shunning, disfellowshipping. If you wonder why most Jehovah's Witnesses won't leave, especially younger generations, it's this, plain and simple. They might not believe the organization is modern-day Noah's Ark. They might not care if Jehovah's watching them. They gave up on that whole Satan is a part of my favorite heavy metal band a long time ago. But this one, this one is alive and well, plain and simple. And by the way, here comes the mother of all disclaimers. If you can avoid shunning, disfellowshipping, and keep everyone and everything you've ever loved by faking it. Do it. Do it. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for you, you, the one with the brain that is broken free of the conditioning. But I never, ever recommend to anyone that they lose their family over this pile of shit. Keep your family, keep it intact, if you can. I don't ever want to see one person lose a parent, a child, a mate, especially for this or any reason but especially because they don't believe Jesus is in heaven getting Stephen Lett's throne ready. He's given him a spot between Chuck Russell and the Apostle Paul, a seat with a view. You don't believe in it, hide it. I know there are acronyms for this now. What is it, PIMO? That's old guys that have left or always get confused by those. Someone posted on that, by the way. Thank you for the, for the rundown. There's no single greater factor for keeping a Jehovah's Witness inside this organization than this. No one wants to walk the earth without those they love the most. No one. So it's not hard to see how and why they began leveraging this starting back in good old year of 1952. The oft-forgotten Nathan Knorr, or should I say King Nathan, who's now in heaven, knew how to control the masses. Hanging over the head of a Jehovah's Witness for their entire life is the very real chance that by leaving this organization, they will lose everyone and everything they love forever. It's unfathomable. And it's become so widely understood and accepted that I believe our minds have even learned to accept it and move on because it's so utterly painful. But it's not just the fear of losing everyone and everything you've ever loved, it's also the way the very people you love the most might view you if you leave this organization and how your absence will actually affect them. Don't underestimate the power this holds over Jehovah's Witnesses and what keeps them there. First, a Jehovah's Witness stays inside that kingdom hall because the leadership of Jehovah's Witnesses requires that people will view you a certain way, even if you do decide to leave the organization. And most people would rather stay and avoid this and fake it than put up with what I'm about to share with you how people will view them as a person. And who can blame them? Not me. If you can stay and keep your family and fake it and navigate it, turn it into a game, if you will, whatever it is you have to do to keep the ones you love, do it. Imagine a person, a Jehovah's Witness, whose mom views them as mentally diseased, as told to Jehovah's Witnesses in the Watchtower of 2011, July 15th, pages 17 and 18. Imagine what that feels like to someone. How's that feel? Worse than faking it all and sitting in a kingdom hall singing from the new songbook for the rest of your life? Worse than standing next to a board, book cart bored to tears? It's very real. How someone who leaves is viewed keeps many in. And you may be wondering how bad is it stacy i mean i don't know i don't study i've been out a while i don't care but i still can't believe they sit through this annual meeting and they stay let me give you an idea of what this organization has taught people on how to view those that leave and why many won't i'm going to go back a bit here but it sets the tone the watchtower of october 1st 1952 the year it all got rolling under nathan Nor, we were told this quote we must hate the disfellowshipped person In the truest sense, which is to regard with extreme, active aversion, to consider them as loathsome, odious, filthy, to detest. That's in print. Many simply can't live with the idea of their parents, the people they love most on this planet, or maybe their children. Viewing them like this? To detest them, they're loathsome? To feel aversion at the sight of their face? To hate them? This was taught by God's loving organization. And most Jehovah's Witnesses would rather stay than be seen as detestable by the very people that gave them life. But then there is how the remaining Jehovah's Witness is impacted oftentimes a parent, a sibling, a mate, or a close friend. Can you imagine putting someone you love through this kind of pain without any end in sight? No guarantee it even will end. Well, they got that covered too. There's the person who leaves who's seen to be filthy and disgusting just because they don't agree with guys in New York. They haven't done anything, or maybe they did. Maybe they slept with someone they loved. Maybe they got a college degree. Maybe they took blood so they could keep living. You're supposed to detest them. But what about the people that are supposed to do the detesting? The people that are left behind if someone does leave. This also impacts someone who wants to leave because they know how it's going to impact the people that love them that stay. The Watchtower of 2021, September, page 27, relates to us this doozy of an experience. Quote After his son was disfellowshipped, a brother named Luke admitted, I blame myself. I had nightmares about it. Sometimes I would cry and my heart ached. Elizabeth, a sister who faced a similar situation, agonized, What did I do wrong as a mother? I felt that I must have failed to inculcate the truth in my son. Esther, whose father was disfellowshipped, says, I cried often. I constantly worried about his well-being. I even had panic attacks. End quote. I love you, Mom, Dad. You'll never see me again or your grandchildren. And I know you live in a permanent state of pain and anxiety, knowing that Jeffrey Jackson has a special fireball with my name on it. My skin's going to cave in. I'm going to rot away to the birds. But, well, never mind. I'll fake it. I don't have to turn in field service time anymore, so, so I'll wing it. I'm going to stay. I can't bear the thought of you aging in so much pain. And they do it. Lots of them. My Pemos, I hope you're out there listening. Lots of love and hugs to you. Lots. To sit there and endure this BS because you, in a strange twist of irony, are the loving one loving people who will hurt if you leave. It's such a loving arrangement. Nah. (laughs) It's by far the number one fear that keeps Jehovah's Witnesses from leaving the absurdity. Period. It's number one. When it comes to all things fear, I'm going to sum up the power of fear as used by the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses by leaning into my guy, Yoda, the Jedi Master. And no, last check, he isn't one of the anointed. It doesn't matter. He said something profound. He said, quote, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. End quote. And it's all that powerful fear that the governing body has leveraged for over a century that keeps many Jehovah's Witnesses inside the organization. And even if they know it's all absurd, never giving consideration to leaving. To those that are doing this, much respect. To those that left and suffer through this, much respect it is the reason why jehovah's witnesses won't leave but i have a few more a few more that may impact more than minority i don't even know if that's true i have no means by measuring that just my opinion but i want to cover a couple more reasons why a witness won't leave after stephen Lett gets up there and says that babies are enemies of god they, they don't stand up they don't walk to the door they don't leave why I want to give a second reason I covered fear, number one. Number two, my second reason most Jehovah's Witnesses will never leave this organization is a little thing called sunk cost fallacy. If you're not familiar with the term sunk cost fallacy, allow me to share just briefly from the Oxford Dictionary. It says, the phenomenon whereby a person is reluctant to abandon a strategy or course of action because they've invested heavily in it even when it is clear that abandonment would be more beneficial. Sunk cost fallacy impacts Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm sure you know where this is going. If you wake up from a life spent in servitude to a publishing company, you face some very painful realities and decisions that need to be made. There are many, and I do mean many, Jehovah's Witnesses who have serious doubts sitting in Kingdom Halls this morning, or now realize that at best it's a publishing company with some inept guys at the top, or at worst, that it's a full-blown cult. They know. And armed with that knowledge, they tie that necktie and they slip into that dress anyway. They continue on to the Kingdom Hall. They continue to go to conventions. They pray, they stand next to a cart, and they watch JW Broadcasting. The Governing Body has trapped millions of good people by getting them onto the hamster wheel and keeping them there for decades of their life. To even think about jumping off the only spinning wheel they've ever known seems impossible for millions of people. They can look back and remember every sacrifice they've ever made for this organization. They've fully invested in this fever drink. They still want their koala bear, their mansion by a waterfall. They want to see their resurrected grandparents. They're in it to win it. And most of the folks that have made that decision, the decision to stay and never leave because of sunk cost fallacy, tend to be elderly, older ones or those of us with tenure. They're part of a unique generation that believes they really truly have nowhere else to go Do you know how sad that is to say? How painful? They hold on to the hope that maybe there's a shred of truth in this crap. And they've made too many sacrifices and painted themselves into the corner known as Jehovah's Witnesses and they don't feel like they can get out. This can be so difficult for the younger generation to grasp or understand. But if they choose to stay, they will. And it's because of sunk cost fallacy they've invested too much how does the precious human spirit justify giving up having children how about the thousands in lost income how about giving up on your dreams if you have the answer you can solve one of life's most bitter psychologies sunk cost fallacy holding on for dear life to something that is slowly destroying you because you've given up too much to be there and you can't quit now. Is this something that happens to Jehovah's Witnesses by accident? I think you know the answer, no. Like everything else, they're conditioned to make sunk cost fallacy a way of life. The human brain is so malleable and the subsequent terror of realizing there's no paradise waiting for you after all and many more awful realities can keep a tenured long-time witness right where they are but there's more and it goes hand in hand with the number one reason jehovah's witnesses never leave that thing called fear it's a little sprinkle of more fear Who remembers the endless illustrations or anecdotes and talks that went something like this? You don't want to like those Jews, to be like those Jews, I should say, that gave up just a mile from entering the Promised Land, do you? You can see it and then you give up? You don't want to have outlived Moses and fought with Joshua and give up just a mile short of the Promised Land, do you? Imagine quitting and leaving the organization right before Armageddon hits. Don't be that person. Oh yeah, if you've been around enough, you remember these illustrations. They were constant. Don't give up now, run the race for life, cross the finish line, don't do it. And full confession, I always love this illustration. And, and I gotta tell you, for all the wrong reasons, here we go, my mind. <laughs> I'll keep this brief at the risk of going off tangent, but let's talk about Moses. Remember that guy? I know we give Noah a lot of play, but it's time for some Moses. It's Moses time. You might remember Jehovah wouldn't let Moses into the promised land because he took credit for getting water out of a rock. I'm sure that was a real story, right? (laughs) He was also the guy that, you know, Talk to burning bushes, he's got a long history with the natural elements. But Joshua took the Israelites into the promised land and Jehovah took Moses to a mountaintop and just kind of, well, I don't know, he kind of teased him, he kind of teased him by letting him see the promised land from afar off on top of the mountain. Then Jehovah goes, time to go to sleep and he lets Moses die without ever setting foot in the promised land. He just teased him with a quick view. What? Even as a kid, I thought, what a God. I mean, this is really kind. There's a bowl of candy. It's sweet. It tastes so good. Just stare at it. Just stare at it. Okay, go to bed. (laughs) It's unbelievable. The guy, Moses that is, that gave up life as an Egyptian prince to herd sheep, he stood up to the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh. He uh, you know, got involved with these things called 12 plagues. He endured decades of bitching and moaning. He split seas open. He There were some golden calves he had to deal with. He set up a copper snake and a whole bunch of other things in his long service to Jehovah God. He spent his entire life in service to that God. And then That God says, uh, you took credit for that water thing. He took him by the hand to a mountaintop and showed him the land he had spent his entire life working to get to. But no, 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 Moses never made it. Nap time. And when I look at that story in this subject of sunk cost fallacy, it's such an appropriate story for any of the Jehovah's Witnesses consumed with this dynamic of sunk cost fallacy. All the sacrifices, all the pain, all the lost time, only to see a paradise earth uh, um, in watchtower illustrations. <laughs> Many will never consider leaving the insanity of this organization because, well, uh, They've wasted their lives. And this just has to be the truth. Something I invested in has to be true. Something, anything, something. Like Moses popped up on a mountaintop looking at it off in the distance. I promise you it's there. I promise you it's there. But, well, you're not going to make it, bud. <laughs> Sunk cost fallacy. And the governing body pours gasoline on the burning flame that is sunk cost fallacy by comparing it all to a race. A race for life. Never mind that this race appears to have no ending. Dismiss that point. But who can forget stuff like this? The Watchtower of 1991, November 1st, pages 13 through 18, Running the Race with Endurance, feeds the mind of a Jehovah's Witness that's been sitting in that kingdom hall for decades with this. Quote, we're in this race of endurance to gain the prize of eternal life. If our endurance peters out just because the race is somewhat longer than we expected when we started it, we shall fail when we are close to gaining the promised reward. Make no mistake. End quote. In other words, you're an old time witness there who started as a kid whose feet couldn't touch the kingdom all floor. And now you're an old guy with gray hair. I can relate. If you give up or leave now, you're dead. And you've come so far. You've trained so hard. You've given up so much. Don't quit before the race ends. And while some may consider the Bible verses on running the race for life and others as inspiration and inspiring, the governing body uses those verses to initiate a little thing called... um. Sunk. Cost. Fallacy. And for those that spent their entire lives serving these guys and just won't leave, they're fed an occasional reminder of how important they are as an old person. In the Watchtower of September 2021, the study edition, Article 35, we get this for those of us who've hung around and refused to leave, quote, if you're getting well along in years, be assured that Jehovah remembers the work you have done in the past. See, Moses. You have zealously supported the preaching work and that pleases our Heavenly Father. You have endured trials, even heartbreaking ones, upheld the Bible's righteous standards, carried heavy loads of responsibility and trained others. You have done your best to keep pace with Jehovah's fast-moving organization. You have supported and encouraged others as they pursued the full-time ministry Jehovah God loves you very much for being loyal. He promises that he will not abandon his loyal ones. He gives you this assurance until your hair is gray. I will keep bearing you. So do not conclude that in view of your advancing years, you no longer have an important role in Jehovah's organization. You most certainly do end quote thrown in by me. See Moses his history is long, didn't matter. In other words, don't let everything you've already invested in be for nothing. Please stay. And the reinforcement for aging Jehovah's Witnesses keeps them there in the organization with nary a thought of leaving. The reality of looking in the mirror and seeing crow's feet and gray hair, that time is not on your side, It hits hard. I mean, it hits you damn hard. It keeps many Jehovah's Witnesses in the organization. When considering sunk cost fallacy, not to be overlooked is the fact that no one, no one likes to admit that they were wrong all along. All those people that tried to tell you, that patiently listened and tried to reason with you. For a Jehovah's Witness to leave and admit that they were wrong all along, well, for many... It's entirely too painful to even consider. They're staying, even when it's absurd. Coupled with friends, family, and sometimes your job being tied into the organization, yeah, there's no way I'm leaving. Sunk cost fallacy is a common human trap. But I'm here to tell you, please, please, please don't let it happen to you. I liken sunk cost fallacy to in Jehovah's Witnesses to an all-you can-eat buffet let's be honest. how many of us uh, go to an all-you can-eat buffet and ever think that's a good thing <laughs> or healthy for that matter? look we're all guilty I'm there. I'm there for triples and thir- triples and quadruples I-, I want more. but how many of us ever think that's a good thing? I've been to some ridiculously overpriced buffets and even those featured a lot of cheap filler foods, but with buffets once you've paid, you think you have to get your money's worth. You know the feeling. You know what I speak of. I paid 20 bucks for an all-you-can-eat buffet. I need to eat enough food to make that worth it. And your diet goes out the window. And you just keep eating. What's this? Crawdads least and yogurt? I'll have some. Whatever's on that menu, you'll keep eating. Plate after plate. After that first plate and that $20, bucks, you are in too deep. So bring on the second, bring on the third, the fourth, the fifth, and bring on dessert. Sunk cost fallacy among Jehovah's Witnesses. I've invested too much, I can't leave. It's a very real thing that keeps people in there listening to those idiots that you saw at the annual convention. My third reason... That Jehovah's Witnesses simply won't leave this organization is likely to ruffle a few feathers, may even offend some people. I'm here to tell you that I recognize that. I'm here to tell you it was a hard reality for me. I'm here to tell you I'm not super happy about saying it. But my third reason many Jehovah's Witnesses won't leave this organization is a simple one. Laziness. Laziness. I get it. I know it sounds controversial, but in my my opinion and my observation, it's more than true. I know calling anyone lazy will come off as controversial, maybe even insulting. I don't mean it that way. It's not meant to. And to prove my point, I'm going to throw myself under the bus right here. I too, even as an elder, was a lazy Jehovah's Witness. Here's a very personal example. You ready? I had no interest whatsoever in learning Anything, zero, having to do with the blood doctrine. Couldn't care less. Didn't care. Slept through it all. To me, it was as simple as, we can't do it. Got it. Okay, don't need to understand why. It was just that subject. And for whatever reason, I never looked into the whys. Never looked into the whys. I left in my 40s. Imagine that. You talk about the height of laziness. Imagine this. You, or in this case me, being told to carry a card that signs my death certificate. I just accepted it. I giggled as I signed it. I got other people to witness that in my advance directive in the Kingdom Hall, what a night that was after the service meeting. I slip it into my wallet and I never, and I mean never, take five minutes to understand where it all came from. Guilty, guilty as hell. That was me, this podcast host, lazy. And I'll say it because it's a fact. I wasn't alone. I've said this on this show more times than anyone wants to hear it. I know I repeat myself. Jehovah's Witnesses don't study. They don't read. They don't research anything about this organization. I know there's going to be someone say that I did. I get it. You're the minority. And let me ask you something. For those that did study, that did read, that did uh, listen at all the talks and then dig into it, and were a good student, I, I just have one question for you: Where are you right now? I'll give it a second. You left. <laughs> you left. You left the organization. Most Jehovah's Witnesses will not study, read, or do anything, I just gave my own example, and they stay. If you do study, you do read, you do dig in, you leave. And the proof is that you're listening to this stupid show. (laughs) I could spend another hour talking about what exposure to this BS does to a child's mind, but you've heard it all before in this show on paradise, whether you want to blame it on the conditioning a dub is exposed to, or even genetics, most Jehovah's Witnesses accept what they hear at a meeting or convention, and they obey. I know this may be uncomfortable to hear. Look, it was for me. But be honest with yourself. How much did you study as a witness? The question I always ask and argumentative Jehovah's Witness is, Have you read the entire Bible cover to cover even once? The answers are almost always shocking. People that have been in for decades. It's incredible. And and honestly, I'm not shocked by it. Maybe not. (laughs) But the fact that most Jehovah's Witnesses confess to never having read and studied the Bible says it all, laziness. They openly preach that it's a letter from Jehovah, and most leave that letter unopened in the mailbox and resort to having other people tell them what's inside of it. And that is lazy. Imagine Jesus or his dad show up at your door with a wrapped gift. Do you just say thanks, toss it aside, and never open it? Hate to break the news to you folks, most Jehovah's Witnesses do and the ones that don't they might be listening to this crazy show right now they left (laughs) and when you won't open the bible and really dig in what's going to make you open the watchtower library and really dig in? the answer is simple it's nothing and the laziness the disinterest in knowing what they're a part of you're guessed it it keeps them there it's easy It's all I've ever known, I don't really even know it, but it sounds familiar because I've been coming for a while. Mix the fear and the sunk cost fallacy in with this one and you've got the perfect cocktail. It's much easier to just accept everything you're hearing from that stage. It's not necessarily unique to Jehovah's Witnesses. Humans are so distracted and often fall into laziness in every phase of our life, in school, at work, how about our health? Let's eat more french fries. (laughs) How many times have you heard, just tell me what to do? Or better yet, how many guys do you know that won't read an instruction manual when putting together a bookshelf? How many guys, I hear the wife's laughing, don't blame you, this guy is guilty. Breaking screws, this thing won't go together. How about we read the manual? Just shut up, I can do it. (laughs) On and on. Guilty, guilty we're lazy. If this offends anyone and you're now yelling at the computer or car stereo as I say this, maybe you're screaming, Stacy, I studied all the time. I read the Bible. I was an elder. I was a pioneer. This guy is wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses study. They're encouraged to study. They read their Bibles. They really dig in. And wow, all I can say to that is maybe you did. Maybe you did. I admit that I did that on a lot of things didn't do it on the blood doctrine didn't care. But let me ask you something. I'm going to emphasize this repetition for emphasis for the old timers. If you were one of those people that studied and you weren't lazy, where are you now? <laughs> are you still a Jehovah's witness? No? There you have it. You weren't lazy and you left. It's crazy how hard that fact can hit home with us. It's really odd, but in my case, I wasn't really susceptible to the fear. I did have a fear of Jehovah disappointing him. I was a fatherless boy, I admit that. I never really even considered sunk cost fallacy, but, but this thing, this laziness, well, ah, folks, guilty. <laughs> that was me. I almost studied nothing unless I had to prepare a part for it. Not in depth. That's why I stayed and never left. I was a cog in the machine. A cog that only studied for my meeting parts and my talks or my shepherding call. I was lazy about researching above all else, above all else, the organization's history. I had never even been to Brooklyn Bethel at the time. I was lazy about something I claimed was my entire life. And it wasn't until I left that I realized I didn't know anything, (laughs) nothing. And then it all changed. It was tossing out laziness that changed my life. I flew all over the planet. I went to Pittsburgh and dug around. I got some super cool pictures at Chuck Russell's pyramid grave which upon just seeing them, break me out in laughter. I poured over documents, including legal documents, last wills and testaments, the UN, United Nations documents. I poured over newspapers from the 1800s and the SEC filings. I went to Brooklyn Bethel, eventually, multiple times. I read every crusty old watchtower publication I could get my hands on. But the single most important move was getting off the hamster wheel schedule and killing a lifetime of laziness. Laziness that caused me to just accept everything I had ever heard. And of course, I went bonkers. I went bonkers as I discovered all these truths. I tried to tell everyone close to me what I'd found, what was in print, and was amazed. That I could speak to people and show them things from the Watchtower publications in print and they still wouldn't look any deeper or study or maybe just even read their own bible for the first time even when they were a 10 year plus elder and yes that happened to me I could show them and they didn't want to see it they wouldn't dig deeper And guess what? I'm out, and they're still there. They would never consider leaving. I'll give you a personal example from someone I loved and was very close to. He couldn't accept, this This was someone that was a very, very close friend of mine. Incredibly lazy, I'm sorry. That's I threw myself on the bus. I'm just going to be blunt. He was incredibly lazy. I, In many ways, I don't really ever view him as being a witness other than he hung around it. But he couldn't accept that I had left the organization. For a, for a short time, he continued to talk to me. He also was someone that has never read the Bible. I doubt he has to this day. Despite being my exact age, and most certainly, he never studied. In fact, at one point, my girlfriend, after we'd left, asked him and his wife to attend my birthday party via social media the wife scolded my girlfriend for inviting them. They don't celebrate birthdays. Little did my friend's wife know that my girl was a graduate of Bible school and when she asked why they don't celebrate birthdays, the wife couldn't answer her. Because she didn't know the answer. She didn't know. She'd never read the Bible, much less understood the doctrine. Soon after, trying to keep it simple and encouraging him, that's all I would ever do, is encourage him to go do research in his own publications, I did at one point show him in person the Watchtower of 2010, February 15th, pages 15 through 16, and by the way, I highly recommend you check this one out, by the way, I find it to be a classic. The Watchtower article discusses the 1918 lectures, Millions Now Living Will Never Die but it used the word may instead of will. Despite the fact that centimeters away on the same page, right next to the paragraph, is a scanned image of a newspaper advertisement of Judge Joe where he uses the word in the title, will, millions now living will never die. And I showed him the book. The paragraph says, may never die. The picture next to it says will never die. You're staring at it with your own eyes. The deceit, the lies, the cover-up. We know what the Bible says about false prophets. I showed it to him. The look on his face was priceless. He started to mumble a little bit. I heard something about, well maybe that's just a typo, I didn't say anything. I asked him if he thought this was important. He stared at me. I could see it in his eyes. I was patient. I loved him. I told him that this is about his everlasting life. Please, go research this in your publications. I won't encourage you. I won't give you anything. No websites. Your stuff. If you're wondering if this is building up to a powerful ending, this story, Think again, he did nothing. And shortly thereafter, he began shunning me. Right there under his nose, in his magazine. In fairness, it's probably accurate to say that the combination of these three reasons why a Jehovah's Witness won't leave this crazy organization play a role you know, the cocktail of fear mixed with the sunk cost fallacy and a dash of lazy and, well, boom, you're not going anywhere. You won't leave, even if you know something is off. We're witnessing it with our own eyes. And it's tragic. I mentioned friends, my own experiences, most of them still in, haven't talked to me in years. Just a tragedy as they move from the fear of a child into the laziness, which is part of their entire existence of a, as of a witness, till, till it's too late, and they got sunk cost fallacy and they're not going anywhere. A lot of them have their jobs tied up in this. Let's be honest, that could be another reason here. But I'm going to go into a four, I'm going I'm to do a throw in in conclusion a fourth reason many Jehovah's Witnesses won't leave. They never leave. Are you ready for this one? Are you sitting down? Here it is. There are people who believe it. <laughs> They believe this is true, that it is, in fact, the truth. All of it. They believe Jeffrey Jackson and Stephen Led are extra special guys with a direct line to Jesus. There are people that believe overlapping generations are a real thing. There are people that believe Jesus looked around in 1919 and chose a drunk guy to build a publishing empire around. They believe it. All of it. Don't ask them to explain it, because they (laughs) can't. They will point to the book cart or they'll send you to a website, which, you know, for us old timers is the modern day version of getting a question at the door, not knowing the answer and telling the householder, "Uh, I'm going to go away and do some research and I'll be back next week with an answer. And of course, guess what? You never returned. (laughs) Oh, the memories. Oh, the memories. Someone's life's on the line. That's okay. (laughs) What a subject though especially in line of what's gone on in 2023. Make no mistake, there are many Jehovah's Witnesses that believe it. They believe this is the truth. Many of them are kind, loving people who just wanted to live forever with fuzzy animals or see a dead loved one again. So they keep going. They keep showing up. They'll consume anything these nine guys feed them. All the while... Focusing on the promises and the pretty illustrations in the publications. And trust me, I have to say this, I think this alone qualifies as evil. It's evil what they're doing to people. But in conclusion, after a year like 2023 in God's organization, people will continue to wonder, why won't Jehovah's Witnesses just leave? The answers are complex, and I've barely done the subject any justice here. But as I do, it reminded me of a quote from the physician and the writer Havelock Ellis. You know, I love my quotes. He said, quote, All the art of living lies in a fine mingling of letting go and hanging on. End quote. For those of us that left Jehovah's Witnesses, we let go and we left the lies. But I encourage everyone listening to hold on. Hold on to the hope that those still inside will one day decide to leave. I wanna thank you all for listening this week. Wherever you may be, be well.